church family. It is a joy to be with y'all this morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. This morning, we're starting a new sermon series called What to Do When There Is Nothing Left to Do. And in the Bible, there is a man who was the second king of the nation of Israel, and his name was David. And David seemed to have a knack for getting through impossible situations in which there was seemingly nothing left to do. This is a young man who tended his father's sheep, and lions would come and try to take the sheep, and bears would come and try to steal the sheep. And this guy would do this guy. Uh, young David did what I feel like I probably would have done, and he fought those lions and bears off with basically his bare hands. Can I get an amen, somebody? Uh, he, did, he wasn't backing down. You know, it was an impossible situation. He fought off lions and bears with sticks and stones. He defeated a giant named Goliath. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit with a sling and a stone. But David also battled some very significant, I would say some major, major sin. And he struggled and faltered, but David was able to overcome everything he experienced in life. He was able to, to somehow find what needed to be done when everything seemed like it had been tried to overcome these impossible situations. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is in the absolute twilight season of his life. He knows he's getting ready to die. And he decides to go to his son, Solomon, and speak some words of truth and life over his son. And in David's last words to his son, I believe he shares with us the keys to unlocking what we should do when it seems like in life we're facing a situation that's hard to overcome and we have done absolutely everything. So these are David's last words to Solomon. I looked up a... While you're turning there in your Bible, I've looked up a few famous last words. A guy named Bob Marley, his last words, according to the Guardian, were, money can't buy life. Money can't buy life. Some of you know the baseball player Joe DiMaggio. His last words were, finally, I get to see Marilyn. That's cool. Um, there was a mathematician named Archimedes. This is kind of strange. Uh, who was writing a mathematical formula on a board during a war, and some enemy soldiers came in and said, Archimedes, follow us, we're taking you to prison. And his last words were, away, fellow, from my diagram. He wanted to finish doing the math equation he was working on before these guys took him to prison, and they ended his life on the spot. So King David is going to speak some words of life and truth to his son Solomon, and we're going to take four lessons from the words David speaks to Solomon. In this passage, uh, passage of Scripture, we're going to be spending all our time in 1 Kings chapter 2. And in this passage of Scripture today, the, the, the message David speaks to Solomon first is to let the Lord lead. So I'm going to give you this uh, Scripture. I've got it on the screen here. The Bible says this. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of, and I want you to pay attention to this phrase, all the earth. He said, so be strong and act like a man. 
And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to Him and keep His decrees and commands, His laws and His regulations, as is written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. As I was reading this, the first thing I thought is, you know, how interesting that David had developed the kind of character and the kind of maturity, even in the last days of his life, to continue encouraging and trying to disciple and trying to mentor the people that God's put into his life. In this case, it's his own son. And there's so many times in our lives when we're fatigued, when we feel sick, when we're busy, um, when we're in pain, when we're struggling with something, that we back away from this idea of encouraging others or discipling others or mentoring others. But this is not the case for David. David, even in sickness, even near death, even when it's inconvenient, even with the pressure of running a kingdom, was still taking time to develop and build up the people that God put in his life. And I want that, I want that to challenge you. Because even right here, David is facing a battle that is difficult. And he's still choosing to encourage, to disciple, to mentor, and to lead. And we have to have that same passion in our lives and same willingness to follow after God. If we're going to overcome situations in which it seems like we've done all there is to do and there is literally nothing left to do. So in these first couple of verses, when I read this, I thought, man, this, what David is sharing with Solomon is obvious. He's saying, Solomon, you've got to do what the Lord says to do. You've got to be willing to observe the things he said to observe. You've got to be willing to follow the law. I thought, God, it's clear when David was in a situation where it seemed like he had done everything and there was nothing left to do, the thing that he decided to do was follow what the Lord commanded him to do. And, and, and in this passage of Scripture, David gives us a phrase that kind of describes the person who is letting the Lord lead. And the phrase David uses is, act like a man. Be a man, David. Be a man. Be the man God's designed you to be. Act like a man. And men follow the Lord's lead. And we live in a culture today that really has... Um, and this is going to sound kind of flagrant maybe, uh, but we live in a culture that has castrated men and asked them to be stud bulls. We live in a culture that says um, men are not equipped leaders. And if you're going to take a stand as a man and you're going to try to lead and you're going to try to be the kind of man that God's designed you to be, in the American culture at large, we can kind of be in a bubble here in northeast Louisiana, but in American culture at large, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be slandered. And you're going to be looked down on. So the types of individuals who are letting the Lord lead are individuals who are really acting in every sense of the phrase like men. Now what I'm about to teach is not just geared towards men. So ladies, I don't want you to tune me out at this point. Because really what David is saying is, I want you to grow up, Solomon. I want you to mature. You are, you are getting ready to be handed the keys to this kingdom. Every responsibility that I have, every decision I make, every thought, every action, every attitude has a huge influence. And all of that pressure very quickly is going to be transferred from me onto you. So you've got to grow up, dude. No more video games. No more excessive time on social media. No more lazing around the castle eating potato chips, watching TV, swimming in the pool, hanging out with your homies. You've got to grow up. And you got to act like a man. So really, yeah, give God a hand clap of praise for that. 
So really, the person who is letting the Lord lead is a mature man or woman. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is maturity. If you are letting the Lord lead, then you've developed maturity. And if you've developed maturity, then in any situation you come up against, you're going to know what to do even when it feels like there's nothing left to do. And the first thing I want to say about a mature person is it has nothing to do with what you look like on the outside. When I moved to uh, Monroe, West Monroe, um, we walked into White Ferry Road Church, first Sunday we were here, and I come from kind of an eclectic church background. I'm kind of a theological mutt, in a sense. And the most recent church I attended was very conservative. And so I walked into White Ferry Road with a suit and a tie. My wife is wearing a dress, and we had our kids in very appropriate um, clothing. And that Sunday, for those of you that have been around White Street Road for any length of time, know what Duck Commander Sunday is. Are you guys familiar with this? So we walk into Duck Commander Sunday, and I'm outside trying to look the part of a very astute, kind of appropriate spiritual individual. And because I'm thinking at that point, my spiritual maturity, it is some, in some ways what you look like, right? You've got to have your Bible, you've got to have a cup of coffee, you've got to have a suit and tie, shoes shine, hair slicked back. Man, I walked into White's Ferry Road and felt like I had been hit by a freight train. Everybody's in camo. A couple of women actually had their faces completely painted with duck calls around the neck. Um, and it was, it, was, it was a moment where God showed me, Trent, Uh, It's not about what you look like on the outside. It's about what is on the inside that counts. And I want you to know that when we're talking about maturity, sometimes I think we can think, I've got to be a certain age. You know, I've got to be 50 years old or older to really be mature. And that's not the truth. Or if we're talking about masculinity, I think a lot of us would feel like masculinity is about how far I can throw a football. Or how much I can bench press, or in our culture here, it's about the length of your beard. And you can see I've bought into that lie. I'm kind of trying to grow my beard out a little bit to fit in with the men in our community. But it's not, it's not about any of those things. Um, if you're a lady, and ladies, I want you to hear this, it is not about how beautiful you are on the outside. We live in a highly sexualized culture that has unfortunately uh, objectified women. And we want women to believe you've got to be beautiful to be a feminine woman. Uh, you got to have a certain hair color. you got to have a certain body style. you got to be able to cook. you got to be around the home cleaning all the time. you got to do X, Y, and Z. And, and none of those things are what true biblical femininity are about. And so if you're a man and, and you're putting the pressure on yourself to measure up by what you can do on the outside, then I hope the words of David to Solomon today will help you learn that that's not what makes a man mature. And if you're the type of lady who puts a lot of pressure on yourself to look a certain way on the outside or have a certain life or have certain activities that you do that you excel in, I hope the words from David to Solomon will help you take that pressure off yourself because that is not what biblical feminine maturity is really all about anyway. So there's the first king in Israel is a man named Saul and Saul makes a mess of the kingdom. And God tells a prophet named Samuel, I want you to go look for the second king in Israel. And it's David. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I've got this pulled up on the screen right here for you. In verse 7, God teaches us this. And Jace was actually saying this if you're paying attention during communion. It's not what's on the outside. So Samuel goes to the household of Jesse. Jesse is David's dad. And he is looking for the next man to be king. 
And Samuel's doing what you and I are doing. He's looking for the biggest, handsomest, studliest, longest bearded guy uh, of the whole crew. And he goes by brother and brother and brother and finally gets to the youngest brother. And God's like, this is the guy. And he tells Samuel, I don't want you, Samuel, to consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. I, the Lord, am not looking at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you're facing a situation that feels impossible, and you feel like you've done all that you can do on the outside world, I want you to start to consider your inside world. I want you to start to consider perhaps to get through this particular situation, to overcome this this mountain. Maybe it's not thinking on the outside that matters. Maybe it's more thinking about what's on the inside that matters. And maybe you need to transform your heart. Maybe you need the Spirit of God to transform your heart, the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. Perhaps you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you've consulted experts. Maybe you've tried different things. Maybe you've got all these external solutions. Perhaps consider that the solution is on the inside. Because God's not worried what's on the outside as much as He is on what's inside. And I promise you can be doing everything in life right. And if the condition of your heart before God is wrong, you're not going to get the outcome that you want. So many times people are in my office and we're having these discussions and their heart is sin sick and broken and messed up. But everything looks okay on the outside and people are going, I just can't understand why I can't get through this situation. And to them I would say, guys, God's not looking at what's on the outside. It can look nice. It can seem nice. It can smell nice. But if it's corrupted in here, you're not going to get the result that you're after. David understood that. So I want to talk to you now about maturity. If maturity is not on the outside, but it's on the inside, what does that look like? And I'm, I'm going to take you through a couple of things in the life of David to talk to you about what a real man or a real woman does in the midst of a situation that's difficult. The first thing I want to say is a mature person knows how to take on a giant. A mature person knows how to take on a giant. And, uh, in First uh, Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32, this is what happens. David's a young kid. The Philistines and the Israelites are in battle. And the Philistines have this really studly warrior, kind of like Josh Hudnall, who's like tall, extremely athletic, just shoulders popping, legs just ripping through his pants. He's like nine feet tall. He throws a spear that weighs as much as most of his enemies. And so this guy, is, it just, he strikes fear into the heart of the Israelite army. And so the Philistines are like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to send this giant, Goliath, out in front of the army. And we're going to have him challenge one-on-one the best Israelite warrior. And whoever wins that battle, we're going to say, wins the war. The only two people who've got to fight are Goliath and this other Israelite. So David is sent by his dad to the Israelite front lines to bring his brothers who are fighting for Israel some food. And David gets there. And he hears this giant out in front of the Israelite army. And the Israelite army is the army of the living God. And David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? And everybody on the Israelite front lines is like, what? Do you not see the size of this guy? You don't, do you not see the biceps? Look at this guy's, look at this guy's spear. His sword would like... It's like a human paper shredder, man. It would like 
totally destroy you in one fell swoop. Don't be talking. If this guy hears what you're saying, we all might end up dead. So David's like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go talk to King Saul. And I'm going to ask for permission to go fight this giant. So David says to Saul, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32. Let nobody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David's a young man at this point, but he demonstrates maturity because of his faith in God. He's letting the Lord lead him into a situation that most people won't allow God to lead them. And that's to take on a giant. And that's responsibility. Mature people are not only responsible for themselves, but they're willing to take that a second mile and be responsible for those around them. And that's what David's willing to do. And, and if I'm being honest, responsibility isn't easy. If you have kids or you've been in a family or anything like that, what you're going to find is that responsibility is tough. It's not always convenient. Responsibility in, in, in life usually means you're going to have to take ownership of the tough stuff that nobody else wants to take ownership of. You've got a whole army of mature men watching this giant defy and taunt the armies of God and you got one man out of that whole group that's willing to take ownership for the situation and be responsible enough to take on the giant in his life. If you're in an impossible situation, you've you got to demonstrate maturity by letting the Lord lead you to take on the giants that are in your life. The second thing, if we would look uh, over the history of the life of King David, is that he was the kind of man who would listen to God and not the crowd. David was the kind of man that knew how to listen to God and not the crowd. So if you fast forward in 1 Samuel to 1 Samuel 23, I'm, it's going to say 22 here on the text, but that got transposed somehow. In, in 1 Samuel 23, David and a group of his followers, this is after um, Goliath has been slain. David's now starting to get a following of people. David and his little group of followers are camped outside of a town called Keilah. And the small town of Keilah is getting besieged by this nasty pagan group of guys that David killed their champion Goliath, the Philistines. And so God tells David, dude, I want you to go down to Keilah and I want you to spank these guys' rears just like you spanked Goliath's rear. And so David tells his little ragtag band of, of followers, hey, we're going down to Keilah and we're going to whip up on the Philistines. And all the guys in David's camp are stricken with fear and they're like, no way. We can't go to Keilah. The Philistines are besieging these guys. They're getting ready to beat them. If we go to Keilah, we're going to get beaten and the Keilah guys are going to get beaten and we're going to be all the less for it. And David's like, all right, I'm going to go consult the Lord once again and I'm going to make sure he wants us to go. And if he says fight, whether y'all are going or not, I'm going. So King David uh, inquires of the Lord. And here's this story. David's been saying to him, here in Judah, we're afraid. We're not even in the battle with Keilah and the Philistines. And we're already afraid. How much more if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces will we be afraid? Once again, David inquires of the Lord. And the Lord answered him, David, go down to Keilah. For I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. If we are in a situation that seems difficult and we've matured by letting the Lord lead us in life, 
What that means is we will listen to the voice of the Lord more than we listen to the voice of the crowd. David's got a whole group opposing him, saying, man, we're going to go down there and get beaten. If we go down there, it's going to be difficult. If we go down there, we won't succeed. And they allow their fear to overcome their faith. And so often in life, we're in the middle of these difficult situations that seem like huge mountains to climb or seem like they're going to be impossible for us to overcome. And our fear and our anxiety and our uncertainty raise... And our faith in God and in his mighty power and in in his capacity to help us overcome any situation in life starts to decrease. And we back away from the situation because we're either listening to the voices of the crowd or letting our faith overcome our fear. And we have to listen to the voice of the Lord if we're going to let God lead. We have to mature to the point where we can hear God's voice and follow God's leadership. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but there's a guy named Elijah who's being pursued by a king named Ahab and his crazy wife Jezebel. And Ahab's very depressed and he feels like he's going to be destroyed and he is trying to hear from God. And, and he, he looks for God in everything. He, he thinks he's going to hear God in the thunder and in an earthquake and in all these different things. But God came to Elijah with a very still small voice. And there are, there are a lot of times, I've been a lot of times in my life where I have looked for God to write something on the wall. Trent, this is exactly what I want you to do. Or scream something to me so loud that the neighbors can hear it. But very often God just whispers very quietly and softly to the depths of my soul. And God's probably speaking to you right now about the situation that comes to mind as I'm talking about these impossible situations in life. But you're looking in the same place as Elijah was looking for that so many people throughout history have looked for. We're looking for God to do this big, huge, loud thing. And I want to tell you, God absolutely can. And there are going to be moments that God absolutely does knock you on your tail because of the clarity with which he makes his plan and purpose and will known in your life. But way more often, friend, it's going to be in the quiet stillness of your time with him that he whispers to you through his word or through your prayer or through the praise music you're listening to. And you've got to to be able to discern that still, small voice over the voice of the crowd and over the voice of your own fear. And David had the capacity to do that time and time and time again. The mature listen to the Lord. Not only do the mature listen to the Lord, the mature are willing to do the right thing even when nobody is looking. The mature are willing to do the right thing when no one is looking. So what we call that in our culture is integrity. What we call that in our culture is integrity. When everybody's looking, does Trent do the right thing? And when nobody is looking, does Trent still do the right thing? And if the answer to that is yes, we would say Trent has integrity. And, and David demonstrates his integrity in a moment that's very critical in the history of the kingdom of the Israelites. So David has killed Goliath. He and his little ragtag group in 1 Samuel 23, they've gone down and um, fought the Philistines at Keilah and they've won. And in the very next chapter, and I've got this up on the screen for you guys, David is hiding in a cave because Saul, who's the current king, 
has heard that David now is, is growing in power. He's killed Goliath. He's fought the Philistines at Keilah and he's won. He's getting more and more people following him. So Saul decides he's going to pursue David and he's going to kill David. And David goes with a group of him and his followers into a cave. And they're hiding from Saul. And Saul and his men are going around this hillside country where there's hundreds of caves and David happens to be in one. And Saul kind of feels a little rumbly in the tumbly if you listen to Winnie the Pooh, all right? And so he goes into the cave to take care of some business, right? He's going to do some paperwork in the Oval Office. So he walks in and he's kind of doing his thing and David's men are like, hey, you could kill Saul right now and... You could overthrow his kingdom and assume control of the Israelites. And and the way they're saying this is kind of like no one would really know that you took advantage of him when he was vulnerable except us. They all knew it wasn't honorable to kill a man when he was preoccupied. But they all thought, man, if you'll just go ahead and do this. It'll save us all the grief of these wars and Saul pursuing us and then maybe us pursuing him. Let's just take this. And and David says to these guys, you know, there's an old saying that from evildoers come evil deeds. And even if nobody's watching, if I do this evil thing, if I end the life of God's anointed man, even though he's doing wrong, and even though God's already selected me to be the next king, If I do this evil thing, do you guys know what that makes me? It makes me evil. And I'm not willing to do an evil thing if one person or no people or a thousand people are watching. And so he says, I am not going to touch Saul. Friends, that is integrity. Integrity is the ability, even if it's hard, even if no one's watching, even if doing the wrong thing would be easier, we don't compromise, even if all around us are willing to. And so often in those mountain moments in our life, when we're staring at the face of a summit that just feels like we can't cross, we compromise. We take the easy path rather than the narrow path. And Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 7. He says, Ladies and gentlemen, there are going to be moments in time in life where you're going to be standing at a fork in a road. And one path is just going to look easy. It's going to be nice and wide. Probably a lot of your friends are going to be down that path. It's going to feel mostly flat. There's not going to be a lot of elevation gain or loss. But that's the wrong path. Then there's going to seem a path that's very narrow, that's rocky, that's much less traveled, that looks like there's a lot more elevation gain and loss. And if you look down that path, you're going to see that there haven't been very many people who have traveled it. And you're not probably going to notice a lot of your friends there. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But it's the narrow path, Jesus would say, that leads to righteousness. And it's David's willingness not to take the easy way out. It's his willingness not to compromise. It's his willingness to follow the narrow way that demonstrates he's matured to the point of letting the Lord lead. David's, in other words, saying to Saul and to these guys, hey, I'm willing to obey God. That's the other mark of a mature person if we're sitting here talking about this. Now, I didn't give you a lot of backstory on Saul, right? but there is a, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, 
is kind of the summary of why Saul was, was cast out by God and why David was anointed as king. And so Saul said, I want you to go fight this group of people, the Amalekites, Agag, their king. I want you to kill him. I want you to kill all the livestock. I want you to kill all the cattle. I don't want anything left. And our God is not willing to compromise. He was not going to let the cancer of a pagan culture infect his chosen people, the nation of Israel. So he says, I want them all gone. And so often in life, it's our compromise, it's our taking of the easy way out, it's our taking of the wide way that allows the poison of, of sin and the poison of culture to influence and infect our lives. And so Saul, uh, David tells, uh, God tells Saul, kill all these guys. So Saul goes to war, they're victorious, but he spares the king and he keeps all the choice livestock for the nation of Israel. Kind of thinking, you know what, this will be fine. It raises our level of income, it makes us more prestigious. And God tells Saul, you disobeyed me. You disobeyed my command. I gave the Amalekites into your hand. And because of your disobedience, my kingdom is torn from you. And I am raising up of the household of Jesse, another king. And in 1 Samuel 15, 22, after Saul's like, but, I, but, 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 but wait, but I, but I was going to do this, or I could have done this, or I should have done this. I get it, I get it. Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of ram. Saul, I didn't want you to keep the uh, plunder of the Amalekites so that you could offer more burnt offerings. I wanted you to obey, and because you have disobeyed, you are experiencing hardship in your life. Hardship to the point of me tearing away the kingdom I have given to you and established you over. Write this down if you're taking notes. There's a guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs. He's the editor for Esquire magazine. And he's not a Christian guy, but he's Jewish by birth. And he decides, for one year of my life, I'm going to live biblically. Uh, there were ten commandments, and then around those are another 613 laws that the um, historical nation of Israel developed so that they wouldn't break the original ten. And A.J. Jacobs is like, for one full year... I'm going to eat what those laws demand of me eating. I'm going to wear the clothes that they demand me to wear. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to, everything that they're saying is what I'm going to do. And so for one year, he lives biblically. He obeyed the Lord for a year, a guy who wasn't a Christian. Now, simply by obeying, he did not convert to Christianity. And I think we can get it wrong in church if we minimize the power of the Spirit for transformation and maximize the power of obedience for transformation. Did you get that? That's called legalism. When we say if we'll just worship right, or meet at the right time, or follow the proper procedure, or do the right things in life, and keep moral code, and etc., 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 if we do that, it'll transform our life, and we'll be good to go. A.J. Jacobs, just by being obedient, did not transform his life. It has to be the Holy Spirit of God who, through the gospel, convicts the hearts of men and women. And those men and women, through that conviction, are empowered by God's grace to respond and obey the gospel. Can I get an amen? That's, in one sentence, my soteriology. And so, what living obediently did do is it felt him become more connected to the sacred. And so, in your life, if you're feeling disconnected from God... In part, I want to tell you that's a result of disobedience. Does God's grace cover a multitude of sins? What's the answer to that, church? 
Absolutely. But your obedience to the Lord draws you close to the Lord and creates space for God to work in your life. And when you're in, a middle, in the middle of a very difficult situation, it seems like all else is failing. Practice obedience. That's what David ends up saying in 1 Kings chapter 2. Follow the law of Moses, the Lord's decrees, his commands, his statutes, and his judgments. And this is the last thing I'm going to say today, and I want you to remember this. If you'll do these things, David, if you'll let the Lord lead in your life and become mature, if you'll grow up, if you'll get off the couch, stop eating potato chips, stop eating when I was... Uh, that age, it was Ricky Lake. Come on, somebody. Huh? Two of y'all willing to admit y'all watch Ricky Lake? That ain't, that ain't true. God, God convict these hearts in the name of Jesus. Okay? So get, get off the couch, Trent. Stop eating Ricky Lake. Stop eating potato chips. Stop playing video games. And be a man. Be a mature individual who lets God lead. Mature people let the Lord lead. And if you'll let the Lord lead, this is, the, this is Bible talking. This is not Trent. David tells Solomon, you're going to prosper. Not just in some things, and not just in most things, but in everything you do, you'll prosper. I want you to prosper, church. I don't just want you to survive. I love that language. He doesn't say, you're going to survive, Solomon, if you'll let the Lord lead. You're you're just going to get by. And some of us have a just get by. I want to give you that in the notes. Some of us have a just get by mentality in Christ. And that grieves my heart. Jesus didn't say, but I have come so they might have life and have it just barely. I've come so that you have life and you're just barely going to scrape by. That is not the God we serve. The God we serve came to seek and save the lost so that they could have a life that was abundant. So everything they could do wouldn't just barely get by. Come on, somebody. But every single thing we do would prosper. Everything we do will prosper if we'll follow after God's lead. David knew that battles would come. And he knew that every single battle was overcomable if we let the Lord lead. Now let me give you back that setting that we're in with David and Solomon. He's fighting a battle. I don't know what battles you're going to fight in life except one. And one battle I do know for sure. And that's the battle over death. And that's the battle David's fighting in this very moment. He is battling death. He is getting ready to die. And David knows he's going to be victorious in death. So he's been given victory over that battle. But I want to ask you that question. Are you ready to face the battle that one day you will face over death? Last Sunday, we celebrated my favorite Sunday of the whole year, Resurrection Sunday. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life so that God could impute our sin to him who knew no sin Such that after the crucifixion, I'm preaching the gospel to you real quick. When he was buried and rose, we could experience forgiveness of our sin, be baptized into his death. And just like he rose, we too can beat death in the grave. And if you have never been baptized into Christ, if you're not prepared to have victory over that battle, or if you're fighting any other battle in life, David knew battles would come, even death. He's right there right now. And he knew every single battle was overcomable. 
God wants to walk with you through those battles, and He wants to resurrect you after the greatest battle you'll ever face if you'll obey the gospel and let Him lead. I'm going to dismiss in a prayer, and I invite you to come forward and surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church and these great people. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who through his death, burial, and resurrection can grant all of us prosperity in the new life that you're giving to us. God, I ask your blessing over these people. I pray your your word and your truth has convicted hearts. And I ask you to empower any of those hearts uh, that that are experiencing that to be compelled, God, to come forward this morning. We love you and we thank you. It's in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please stand with me while we sing.